All right, we're going to start in just a second. How's everyone today? cycling, whatever it might be. So 
but it, it fits within, it is the beginning of the biblical new year. Um, it is the birthday of what? What? Giving of Torah? Nope. No? That is uh, Shavuot. Oh, yeah. Uh, or Pentecost. Um, what is... What? I was going to say, like, a more accurate representation of when Jesus was Probably not. That's what uh, most scholars that uh, think about Jesus being born at uh, on a biblical festival imagine that more so to be um, Sukkot. Right. Right. Uh, it is the birthday of creation. Mm. It is what's imagined. So this is the day that that God speaks the world into existence. Um, and then it's also the beginning of what Diana talked about, 10 days of repentance. Okay. Um, so I think what I want to talk about this morning with this, and hopefully we can have uh, some conversation around, is what is repentance and what is forgiveness? And kind of uh, try to imagine that within the biblical festival of Rosh Hashanah. So when you think about what when you think of repentance, what do you imagine that is? What is repentance to you guys? I want to say it's something more than just asking for forgiveness. Okay. Right? It's actually expressing, I don't want to say regret because that's, not, I don't know. Um, expressing that you maybe you were wrong and you are um, I don't know how to explain it. It just seems more than just being like sorry. Like, more than I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anybody else? I can't remember if it's also like the the, the turning away from you know like yeah like how I was saying it's more than sorry, it's also like turning away from that. Yeah, and literally the Hebrew implies a like a 180, like to make a, a reversal or a complete turn. Anything else? There's also imply like to even go beyond and write what you've wrong. It can, yeah. So restitution. Anybody online have anything? Jasper, Chris, you guys have any thoughts about what is what is the meaning of repentance? I'd imagine you have to have some type of sorrow um, for your for any misdeed you've done. There has to be some type of um, reconciliation um, in the in the way you are approaching it and resolving it. Yep. What is what is the emotion that you guys feel like? Uh, so for me, growing up in a much more traditional and even uh, very uh, maybe fundamental church. Repentance carried a certain emotion to it, um, like you know the the repent, turn back type thing. What what emotions do you guys have 
with this idea for emptiness. I think grief and um, guilt. Okay. I get a sense of like very heavy handed, like repent, you know, like uh, like it's somehow in there's an inferior entity and a superior entity and the superior entity is demanding repentance of the inferior entity. So when I hear you say that, for me, part of what I also feel when you say that is that I, I recognize that is like some kind of implied uh, like threat. Right. There's like a superiority right, and an inferiority. I know that's probably not a feeling, but... Almost like... I feel like repentance is almost like shaming, mm. like sometimes shaming into the act of repentance mm. versus a willingness, like yeah. I'm going through this thing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think, I think shame, guilt, threat, um, I don't want to you know, project those onto everyone else, but those are the ones that I really feel. Like when I think about repentance, I think very much about those, <clears throat> those things. Okay. Uh, anybody else have any thoughts? Uh, does, that, does that kind of sit with where you guys uh, imagine in Blacksburg even? I just think it's interesting that a lot of our definitions have to do with like somebody else imposing it. Mm. I mean, that's not an inward. Right. I mean, and certainly we can inwardly repent of something. We can be, uh, we can feel prompted on our own to do that, but. It is interesting that that's been a common theme, that, that it's like, you know, there's a demand to repent for something about our backgrounds, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So one of the, the writings on repentance that I think uh, sums up almost an antithetical perspective than maybe what I've had of repentance is this quote uh, from the Talmud that says, uh, great is repentance for it brings the healing of the world, right? So, so think about that. Um, like, how can we imagine that that would be the case, that repentance brings about the healing of the world? How, how do you imagine that that's true? If, if you even think it's true, but let's, let's pretend we think it's true. I feel like, first of all, it takes it from being personal to corporate. Yeah, there is a corporate. Anything else? I think someone talked about writing their wrongs, and that kind of makes me think of a healing perspective where if you hurt somebody, trying to write it might be the act of trying to help that person heal from your whatever you did wrong that's making them feel like they're in turmoil. Yeah. Um, I think also since repentance includes this um, idea of turning away, um, if we didn't have repentance, then wouldn't that just, you know, that harmful behavior just continue? You know what I mean? So repentance bringing about the healing of the world is because it, it is, um, like I said, it's righting wrongs, but it's also then preventing more wrongs. Because if, if you truly repent and change, then you're turning away from Correct. Yes. Ah! 
So then let's so let's think about repentance. We're going to take repentance and let's pin it over here. And then let's talk about forgiveness. So we hear throughout the text, uh, these two link together, repent and you will be forgiven, right? Um, what do you think uh, forgiveness meant in the minds of like, first century Israel? Like when they think about forgiveness, so I realize that we've only had, you know, we've only been doing this for a handful of weeks. You know, people in Blacksburg, it's been you know a few years now, so maybe you might have some better ideas of this. But um, from what we are trying to imagine and look at it through the lens of uh, people that imagine judgment is the time when God sets things right, that repentance is about the healing of the world. What can we surmise? that Israel thought forgiveness meant. When they talked about God forgiving them, what, did, what do you think that they imagined that to be? Was this the time when they had already been in captivity, or was this, or was captivity later? I Well, right now we're talking about just this covering the entire history. I mean, Rosh Hashanah is still being celebrated. And so... Uh, forgiveness just in general, what do we imagine? Uh, I know I said first century, first century would have been post-exile, but in some ways they were exiled within their own country rather than occupying it. Um, so I think the the historical fact of their oppression when they were in Egypt and them forgiving the Egyptians might have been something they thought of okay. at that time. Good. I think of, uh, is it, I don't remember what book it was. I think it might be like the book of Joshua or something. I, I swear it was like every so many passages, it was like Israel screwed up, God forgave them. And then they went on and then Israel screwed up, God forgave them. It was like this constant like cycle. Um, so I don't know if that would come to mind that, you know, thinking of forgiveness is. Um, uh, something that they feel comfortable they can receive from God. But, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Jeremiah, for instance, like, I love this this view of Jeremiah. It says, no man, Jeremiah does not say this is an interpretation of Jeremiah. It says, no man need despair on account of their sins. Right? Uh, first of all, that statement is so important. No person need despair on account of their sins. For every penitent sinner is graciously received by, uh, by God and forgiven. The holy one, blessed be their name, said to Jeremiah, go tell Israel that they return. Jeremiah told them. Israel said, with what countenance shall we come before God? Are not these hills and mountains on which we serve other gods standing there? We are overwhelmed with shame. Jeremiah, Jeremiah brought back to God what they had said. And God said to Jeremiah, go tell them, if you return to me, do not return to you. Do you not return to heaven? As it is said, for I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my first son. And so this picture of, like, Israel's like, oh, I can't go stand before God. We've committed so many sins in these mountains that we serve idols upon. Judge us. They're standing there in judgment of us. And then how can we go and stand in front of God when they are there? And God's like, if you return to me, you return to me. Like, that those those mountains, their, their witness is no longer uh, condemning of you. 
instead uh, that you are you're welcome to. I, I don't know about you guys, but so much of my life had been spent feeling I could not be forgiven for many of my misgivings in life. Right? That I didn't deserve to be forgiven, that in some way I didn't deserve uh, to be restored, that I, I owed uh, penance, I had to I had to travel through the wilderness for 40 years and not be reconciled to God. I do, does anyone else experience that, or is that like uh, unique to me? I would agree with you, at least from my perspective. It felt like forgiveness, like you were still clinging on to the seed of whatever you did, and it was not fully wiped away. Like there was still like a stain, like a marking, like a scarlet letter, if you will, for your for what you did, and you walk around. You're expected to walk around in shame. At least that's my opinion. Yeah. Anybody else? Did you say something? I kind of. Yeah, you know, I, I think like for much of my adult life, it's been like that. All that I always joke. Guilt, fear, shame, you know, that's so much of yeah. what I've experienced and felt. Yeah. I don't know why, but um, how can you come to a place with a God who is so beyond and yet receive forgiveness, yeah. you know, when you have those deep feelings of that? Yeah. I think when we live in a, a world and culture where the idea is this is the crime, this is the punishment, once you finish that punishment, then you can move on. You know, you kill someone, you're going to jail for X amount of time, or you have this fine, or you got that, whatever. So when it's just all like, you know, I wronged, and I asked for forgiveness, and that's it, like, you know, where's the jail time, where's the fine, where's yeah. the community service? Like, there's nothing put upon you, so I think it's just almost weird that we don't have that, and so I think we're trying to get that, you know? Yeah. It's like, punish me. Yeah, well, let me, let me say, so, so, so this is going to somewhat jump ahead a little bit into where I was going, but you're, you're touching on something that's really significant. Um, because, Charlie, if you're not going to say that, can you turn it off? I keep thinking of ECRTH rewinding, which shows my age, is all it does. Um, but, like, uh, one of the things that, um, I think is really important is that we have lost the sense of restitution in repentance and there is restitution in repentance right jesus says i think it was oh man this is gonna show my my biblical leaders i think it's jesus that says uh if you approach the altar and yet you have sinned against your your brother leave your offering go and reconcile and rest and create restitution with your brother then come back and give the offering, right? And so this is so important that we, we've lost that. You're right, and I think in some ways, we imagine that we can we can cause harm in some way, and I'm not, I mean, that can be ever so slight or it can be significant. So just like I, I manipulated a situation where I lied about something, so I've harmed someone, and we think all we have to do is laying in bed at night before we fall asleep is just say, God, I'm sorry about that, and we're good. But scripture seems to imply that not only do you have to stand before God on that, but you actually have to stand before the person that you harmed. 
and that you need to go to them and seek forgiveness. This is why in the Lord's Prayer, the prayer is forgive me in the same way that I forgive others because it implies that there's this perpetual restitution happening amongst us constantly. That you and I in our day-to-day life are going to harm one another. It's going to happen. And that we should be seeking out restitution. She's waiting. Go ahead, Mary Elizabeth. Yeah. So actually, interestingly, it's not if you have sinned against your brother or sister. It's if that, that person has done something against you, you go and find that. You go and seek that person out. Yep. So it's slightly different. Yeah. And it's really important. Are you talking about the passage I was referencing? Yeah, I am. Do you yeah. know where that is by chance? Yeah, it is Matthew five twenty three. Can you read it for us? Um, sure. Here's an the NIV version. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, mm. therefore the altar first go be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Yeah. Um. And I think that, I think what you're touching on, I think, I think it's both and. I think it's both that we do something and therefore now they, they have something against us because of how we treated them. And I think the same thing is true that they may have done something against us and we still, we still want to reconcile. Um, so this is not new to Jesus, right? Like I, I know that we want to make everything Jesus says and does completely unique. But it wasn't. It was part of Judaism in the sense that how dare us assume God would want an offering when we aren't even living healthy with our neighbor, right? Like that God's like, I, I actually don't need your stuff. Like I, if I needed to eat, I wouldn't seek you out. If I needed a house, I wouldn't find you. I wouldn't have you build me a house, ironically, when you go to the temple twice. Right? But uh, I wouldn't have you do it, right, is what God says in the prophets. But, so therefore, when we give an offering, we should make sure that we've reconciled with all of our relationships first because God's like, I don't need this offering, but maybe if you took this, these same gifts, you took these, the same effort, and you did it towards your neighbor, uh, then, then if there's something left, you need to make. Right. It's the same as uh, actually in Acts two, we see the passage where it says, uh, "and nobody was with it; no one had need." Right? Uh, in Acts two, and that was part of the festival of Pentecost was that all the poor were were fed. They all had access to a meal. They all had access to goods, and that God that we weren't allowed to give an offering to God until we promised that all the people were taken care of. Because God's like, I actually don't need anything. Your neighbor who is suffering does. And so don't ever dare to give me an offering and neglect your neighbor. Right? Don't ever dare to give me an offering and neglect your relationship with your neighbor. Or not have don't seek restitution with me when you first need to seek restitution with your neighbor. So let, any thoughts about that? Because uh, Tom, you kind of touched on that, and I do think that there's something significant. To it. I think it's part of the reason we can't forgive ourselves because we haven't sought out the forgiveness of the person we've been. Um, any, any thoughts?
All right, so uh, is any, did you have something? Uh, on the topic of forgiveness, just in general. Okay, go ahead. I just keep getting reminded that, like, when I'm fine, I'm just rethinking about how throughout the text there's several examples of partitioning for forgiveness for other people. Right. And I don't know, I just can't. Could you imagine if, I think we brought this up in a conversation. Yeah, about being a priesthood to all nations. Yeah, and just like, what would it look like to sit before God and even like, think like Ruth for life, like ISIS, like, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Just like Jesus did to his oppressors. Yeah. Like, that idea is just so unfathomable, but yet that's, yeah. And I, I think part of the danger that we have with that is that when we think about praying for someone's forgiveness, uh, Israel still fought against the Romans' oppression. Right, right. Just because Jesus sought the forgiveness of the Roman soldiers that killed him didn't mean that Israel didn't want to overthrow the oppressor. Right. And I think sometimes when we talk about forgiveness, we imagine we either do one or the other. Um, and that's not healthy. In the same way that maybe, as we were talking about earlier, it's hard to accept complete forgiveness because in some ways we haven't uh, reconciled, we haven't uh, performed restitution with the person that maybe we, we caused harm to. Um, and so that's still needed. We still need to overthrow in some way. Um, there's a great uh, rabbinical saying. Uh, some disciples go to the rabbi and they ask the rabbi, uh, how, often, uh, how often do you need to repent? And the rabbi's answer is once, the day before you die. And the disciples say, well, none of us know when we're going to die. And the rabbi says, he said, repent every day then, since you don't know which day uh, will be your last day. So he says, repent every day. Um, does someone have something? A child. I heard a child. I think Garen had something to do. No, you're Garen. <laughs> um, I'd be a little frustrated. It sounds like forgiveness is more of, well, at least the aspect I'm hearing is a relationship piece where there's like an act in between two people. It's more than just. An internal forgiveness of yourself. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So think about this. If you are, say you wrong someone, I know that we can all probably imagine that that might have happened sometime in our life that we wronged someone. And that you went to that person and you apologized and you were sincere and that person forgave you. What, how, what would you liken that to? Like, what is that What is that feeling? What is that likened to? Or how would you explain that emotion that comes from that? Happy. Happy? Good. There's some relief. Relief, you know, yeah. Relief and release, like a weight. A weight? Like a physical weight off. Man, I, I, I couldn't have paid you to give a better response. <laughs> no, you <laughs> didn't. I know. I feel like I owe you something now. Um, so in the Hebrew, the idea of forgiveness from God was quite literally lifting a weight off of song. That God was like, I want to forgive you. Because 
in our in our life when we live in a manner that doesn't feel forgiven? I mean, think about this. Have you ever done something you've yet to be forgiven by the person for what you've done? And it just kind of it's like a, a heavy rock in a backpack almost. Like it's just it weighs on you. And you might not think about it all the time, but there are moments when you're just like you're grieved about this moment. And this idea of forgiveness from God, and I would argue, therefore, also what God calls us to, is to not just imagine, not just say, yeah, fine, I forgive you, you said you're sorry, that's great. But that there's an active part in forgiving someone that actually kind of lifts a burden from the person. Right? Forgiveness is about, about having a burden lifted, and that's so significant when we think about it. So when someone comes to you and says, Mike, I'm really, really sorry for how I, how I said something or how I treated you. Your response in that, in that moment to forgive me because myself has said it to you is also this sense of, imagine if you could embrace the fact that you desire to lift the weight of that anxiousness from the person or lift the weight of that guilt or shame or whatever it might be that, that we had that sense and that that's what God wants to do for us. Um, I'll, I'll give you one second, Rudy. Um, have you guys, uh, how many of you have seen the movie The Incredibles? Mm. <laughs> Remember when he goes into the bank and there's the columns, the pillars, and under the first one, the guy's standing up with the pillar, and then under the next one, he's bent down a little bit, and under the oh, next one, he's bent down, me. until he's completely smashed. That's Despicable Me. That's Despicable Me. Dang it. <laughs> uh, how many of you have seen Despicable Me? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's, that's in Despicable Me, where he goes into the bank, and he and you look at that column, and I would imagine in some way, I immediately resonated with that scene, because uh, my unrepentant life echoes that. Like, I, I, I can see that weight and how at first it's like, I got this, I can do this. And then it just it slowly weighs on me. And that God, more than anything, wants to lift that column, that burden off of us. Uh, that in community, we should want more than anything to lift that column off of others. Um, and that that's forgiveness so that we're not, we're no longer, our life is no longer buckled under the weight of whatever it might be. All right, Ruby, what do you got? It means that you're really, that you're really sorry, that you're real sorry and you're not, and you're not pretending to be sorry. Yep. Very good. Yep. I have a perspective on forgiveness okay. that is is coming from the perspective of the person as the person who was wrong as someone who was mm -hmm. abused as a child and how I desire to to forgive that person but I at one point in my life I had this sense that there had to be a sequential act of them asking for forgiveness before I was willing to grant it. Yeah. And so I I I think about forgiveness in that sense that I can actually and I've learned that I could actually forgive before they actually asked for forgiveness. Um and that that's been a a long journey because I wanted to force the abuser 
to be sorry for what they had done as opposed to uh, before I was willing to give the forgiveness. But I, over time I learned that I could actually forgive and the burden that was being carried was not necessarily theirs. Yeah. I believe it, you know, it could be, yeah. but it was also very heavily mine. I, I, I agree. I, I think that... So that's a perspective on forgiveness that isn't, you know, I mean, it's me carrying the burden and I can release it, right. but I, in order to release it, I have to be willing to forgive them and actually forgive them for what they've done. So in, in Isaiah, there's a scene that um, that has this moment where it's like almost as if God is is pacing. Uh, Israel is in exile, and God is lamenting that they've yet to repent, right? And God and God is feeling uh, harm and upset, uh, considering divorce. In, in some way, and and God says He makes the proclamation. God makes the proclamation. Maybe if I forgive them, then they'll return to me, right? Uh, and so God forgives Israel, and then after forgiving Israel, weeks for the return. And I think that that's really really powerful. And I think in some ways, kind of what you're touching on, right? Is in that in that story, God is a bad evangelical. Right? Like God, God clearly doesn't know that you're supposed to repent first and then be forgiven. God, God, God can't wait any longer. God is anxious for Israel to return. God wants more than anything. To be reconciled back to God's people, and so God says, "You know what? I'm just going to go ahead and forgive them, and then maybe they'll repent." And I think each of us, at different moments in our life, have experienced that where we need to extend forgiveness to someone even before they ever repent for it. Um, and I think that's kind of touching what you're saying. I mean, that's been my uh, some of my experience growing up as well. It's hard to 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 reconcile with the fact, number one, that it's not sequential, that it doesn't, you know, have to follow in this progressive manner. The other thing that's difficult to reconcile for me was that they may never believe or feel that they had done anything wrong. And that I, um, that the burden that I'm carrying is, uh, is one that they may never recognize or believe that they cause. Right. And that, that's a lot to to realize to think, wow, this this thing I'm feeling and the things that they did to me, they may never they may never acknowledge. Right. And that permanence of lack of acknowledgement is it, it, it's been a journey to accept. Yeah. I think that forgiveness doesn't work the way that we often imagined it or have been taught it in the church. We forget stories such as Jesus on the cross saying, forgive them, and they're not what they do. There was no repentance there. In fact, they were still actively killing Jesus. Stephen, as he's being stoned, is actively being killed, and he says, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Uh, the paralytic lowered down through the roof. Jesus looks at the friends that lower uh, this person down through the roof and says, because of your faith, their sins are forgiven. 
Like, this is a powerful picture of forgiveness that we actually have lost. Is that forgiveness isn't just triggered by an act of repentance. However, repentance will always trigger forgiveness from God. Right? Does that make sense? Like, forgiveness is not dependent on repentance, but repentance will always bring about forgiveness with God. It's what God says to Jeremiah um, to tell the people. There's nothing you've done so great. God waits with hand outstretched. The prodigal son, right? God waits with hand outstretched to accept fully back into the household, to be restored, to be uh, put back in. Um, one of the things in the Talmud talks about the repentant sinner attains a more exalted spiritual eminence than he who has never sinned. Can you back that up using the New Testament? Can you say that? Can you repeat that? A repentant sinner attains a more exalted spiritual eminence than he who has never sinned. I think of the prodigal son, probably, that story talks about. But I think but he still remains the second born. Yeah. He doesn't he doesn't, he doesn't take above the first he born role. So where else can we think of this story? Man, I mean, Jesus was the only one without sin, but I don't, it's hard to accelerate or raise any sinner above Jesus. I, I, that's hard. But Jesus even said he would be greater things than these. It reminds me of the story, wasn't there a parable where two men, one, one talked about how great he was and the other... Maybe I'm making it up. Maybe that's not a parable in the New Testament. But I feel like there's a parable where one man begs for forgiveness and one man talks about all the good things God has given him. The beggar and the Pharisee. I think so. Yeah, that's, that's a, that is a parable. Or that's a story in the text. Though I don't think that's necessarily what this is related to. That's about humility and like It doesn't say that the Pharisee was without sin. Okay. It just says that the, the poor man was willing to admit that they had sinned, whereas the, the Pharisee was only talking about how great they've been. Um, but that's a great guess. Uh, all right. Uh, so here, I'm going to ask you guys to stand with me while I read this. And if you want to stand where you are, you are welcome to stand to hear the text. Um, sorry that you are now looking at my abdomen. Uh, so Luke 7, beginning with verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table, him being Jesus. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered saying to, and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and another 50. When they both could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon asked, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. 
So Jesus even has this perspective that uh, a person who uh, seeks repentance is going to experience something more spiritually impactful than someone who has never sinned and never had to repent. I hope that really helps us have a much better health and much more healthy perspective of sin. That instead of it being the thing that keeps you from God, right? Paul in Romans is talking about uh, through sin we experience more grace, and then he quickly, because he knows where everybody's mind's going to jump, says, does that mean we should sin more in order to experience grace more? Heavens no. And so there's this picture of, of that there's something powerful about the fact. So you and I, who maybe we sit and carry this guilt and shame of things of the past, even though maybe we've even repented, but we haven't uh, fully accepted the, the offer to lift the burden from us, um, that, 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 that experience of forgiveness, that experience of repentance is actually, in, can enrich our life. It can actually bring healing to the world, right? How many of you have experienced something in life that is either done to you or you've done to someone else, and later you were able in a more healthy way to help someone else experiencing something similar, and you're able to walk with them through it. You were able to teach them or show them a way to engage something. Um, I'm very, very uh, concerned about some of the rhetoric that we've done to our young people in the church around pornography and how it has created guilt and shame and much harmful attitudes for their entire life because of it. And so for me, someone who has struggled with it for, since I was 12, I, I want to use that experience. I want to take that and be able to offer people other ways to think about this, other ways to imagine life in this, in this constant struggle. And I think all of us, whether it's an addiction or whether it's we've done something that we truly regret uh, at some point in our life, uh, that we can walk with others through it because we've experienced both the action, the repentance, the forgiveness, and the restoration. Um, I think as long as we um, continue to be afraid or feel unworthy to let go of some of the guilt and shame, the harder it is for us to walk other people fully through that, you know, the valley of death, so to speak, that maybe we experience. Any thoughts about that? It seems like a process, but it's, I, I feel like that I'm missing the last part of it because I've had a sense that I'm never quite there. Yeah. And so finalizing that final step seems to be the gap for me. I think it's the gap for a lot of people. And I think part of it comes from we no longer have a culture that has public confession. We no longer have a culture that has confiding in one another. And like all of us today sitting in this room have things that we would love to confess about and get off our chest. We might need to process it for a few minutes to figure out what those things might be, but we all have things that we wish others could know about us and we would be able to trust that they would still love us and care about us. Um, but we're afraid, so we all wear masks. 
we all pretend like we have it all together. We all fake that we all experience uh, that we're no longer carrying this heavy column that is crushing us. Um, and I think the last part only can happen well in a setting where communally we're willing to re help remove the burdens from one another, help encourage one another to take off those, those things that weigh us down. Um, and that's actually a huge part of what Rosh Hashanah is about. Um, so there's this, this great process. In fact, next year, my hope is, and we'll see how we can live stream it next year, is next year when we celebrate Rosh Hashanah, instead of meeting here or wherever we would be at that time, they will actually go down to the river. And what they would do is they would take bread and they'd break pieces of bread and the bread would represent their sin and they would take the bread and they would throw it into the water, right? And they would use Micah as the reason for that. So it says in Micah 7.19, he will again have compassion on us, being God in this instance. Uh, God will tread our iniquities underfoot and you, plural, the people, will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. And so they would take bread and they would go out and on Rosh Hashanah they would throw the bread out into the water, which is really, really an awesome picture. The reason it's especially awesome is because when we repent and throw our sins into the water, the ducks come in and eat the bread and the fish swim to the surface and take the bread. And there's this picture that in our repentance, we actually contribute to the healthiness of the world. Like I said earlier, right? And then some way, our repentance, in some way, the things that we had messed up in the year before, the things that we didn't do that we wanted to do, um, that when we throw those things, those shames, those guilts, those things out into the river or out into the water, that in some way, that moment of recognizing these things and this moment of repentance actually contributes to the well-being and the health of the world. I think that that's an amazing picture. Um, and so hopefully I'll have to trust you guys to remind me uh, next year at Rosh Hashanah, we'll go down to the river and actually do that. Um, any thoughts about that? seems that that the the act of repentance has such a great power um, and it, it it almost appears that there's like a cumulative effect that's much greater than the act itself yeah I, because if, if repentance can like affect the whole world yeah. that's got to be I mean and one person can do it. Yeah. Chris, Chris raises hand. Okay, Chris. I, for some reason, I was um, uh, going back to um, the concept of communion, but in a different concept where we are the broken pieces of bread, and um, by us communing together and releasing what we fear people couldn't accept, but being, you know, I think that repentance is, you know, is a great thing and it does heal the world. So I think in a, in a different perspective, it lends more to the, to the body, you know, than just the general concept of communion and bread. Um, I don't know if I'm putting that together right, but that's what I was thinking of when you were tossing the bread out. <laughs> in fact, actually today, I apologize to those of you not here. Um, our communion is gonna be apples and honey to kind of experience some of that uh, 
And so, yes, you're spot on. And I apologize that you're not here to. So, one quick thing about repentance that I also think is important, and I think that this is a this is a challenge for us. Okay, it says there is no more grievous sin than to taunt the repentant person by recalling their former ways. Wow. Wow. So there is a grade of sins. Absolutely. <laughs> Jesus is uh, there is no more grievous sin than to taunt a repenter by recalling their former sinful ways. Wow. It certainly does. Check the box if you're if you've served right. time, right? That's application. Yeah, so much yeah, for you restitution. You can never get away from it. So much no. for restitution. Yes, Ruby. Oh, why can't we just throw the bread in a cup of water? We are going to do something similar to that. That is a great idea, and I wish you would have been here earlier so you could have helped me brainstorm. <laughs> um, so one of the things uh, I'm going to close with is. Our New Year's celebration in December 31, December 31st, we often make resolutions for the next year. Diet, exercise, books to read, write that book we've been wanting to write, whatever it might be, finish the project, whatever it is. Uh, and we, we make this resolution of what we're going to do. With Rosh Hashanah, we are reminded that our past has no hold on our present and does not affect our future. And when I say that, I mean obviously we have things that we've done that cause, there's cause and effect. But I'm talking about what we feel internally, the shame or the guilt. That in some way, God imagines that on this day, when we are the day of judgment, this is one of the days, it's a minor day of judgment, not before is the big day of judgment, the day of atonement when everything gets sealed, so to speak. We'll talk about that in a week or so. Um, and in this story, this picture, it, it said, here, see if you recognize this teaching from the Gospels. The, the rabbi said, Rosh Hashanah is like the day when the sheep pass before the shepherd to be inserted. Where, where is that in the Gospels? Yes, Matthew 25, right? And it says, on that day, you will be separated, the sheeps from the goats, and in this picture. And so the argument is within Rosh Hashanah that if you are righteous, you're just stamped immediately into the book of life, right, for that year. And if you are wicked, your, your name is blotted out for that year. But if you're like everybody else, which is 99.9% .9 of the people in the world, you have 10 days and this kicks off a 10-day period where you reflect on this past year and you reflect on the things that you have done that you would love to set right, on the things that you did do that you wish you had done, the people that you wish that you had spoken differently to or engaged with differently, that you take these 10 days to reconcile and then on Yom Kippur, you will be forgiven. And your name will be written in the book of life. Because God does not want our past to impact our present. Right? We talked about the beginning of the morning, and some of us even mentioned that it's hard to let go of some of the stuff 
it just kind of sits there. It's a weight that we still carry around. God does not desire for you to carry that around. And I, I really am trying to help try to explain this in a way that separates that if you, if you, uh, you know, wrecked a car, you might still have to pay for the car in this coming year, but that's not, that's not what we're talking. The guilt of wrecking the car is what God desires to lift from you. That in this 10 days of taking inventory of the, of your, of the past year, that you get to eliminate those things from being carried on to the following year. What do you guys think about that? Any thoughts? I was thinking with forgiveness and, and you know, moving forward, I always found it very interesting that um, there's things that I know that God doesn't know because scripture says that, you know, if you, God will remove your sins and remove them as far as the east from the west and remember them no more. But I still remember those. Yeah. And it's just kind of interesting when you look at the picture of what forgiveness and restitution and all that looks like that you know, the ultimate act of love and forgiveness is to be like, you know what, that's who I was back then, moving forward here. And, you know, when you ask Scott, like, sorry, I did that again, he's like, did what again? Yeah. This is the first time you've ever done that, as far as I know of, you know. And I just think it's, it's interesting how we, as humans, are constantly beating ourselves up for our past when God has already said, you know what, that's the past. You are creating something new. Tom, that's so spot on. And think about the, the quote that I read earlier about the greater, the greater sin is to remind the repenter of their sinful ways. Because there's only one person who has the right to keep saying, yeah, you did do that again, and that's God. But he says, I don't even remember it. You right. know? And we do it to ourselves all the time. Like, like we should take that as a warning of self-induced pain and suffering. I, you know, we are just, it's so hard. Tana wrote a great piece about forgiveness uh, that was shortly after our last Rosh Hashanah conversation in Blacksburg. And I encourage you guys to read it. Maybe you can include it in the email. <laughs> but it just talks about self-forgiveness is a huge part of us moving forward uh, and being healthy in the community. So, um, all right. Uh, is there any other last-minute things? If not, we're gonna uh, we're gonna say uh, we're gonna pray together, uh, do prayer requests. Uh, anything else? All right. Uh, I'm going to stop the video.